unity of the Trinity in the sermon series, United, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. We're starting a new series today, like Pastor Sanita mentioned. It is called United. And I have the great pleasure and burden of introducing it. table set ready to go uh, we did plan for this sermon actually last year in September of 2019 and it was interesting because um, I don't know the motivation or the heart behind planning for a, a united series was really because we wanted to bring our church together right and we wanted to uh, create um, a more united community, a more united mindset, a more united spirituality for our church. And it's funny, now that a year later we find ourselves at heights of disunity, disharmony, discord. We've been essentially pulled apart from proximity with each other. And so I think it's very safe to say that feelings of closeness and um, community and other words associated with being united are an all-time low. In fact, it's probably harder today to keep in touch with anyone, friends, family, anyone that you might know, much less the church. So why united? Why unity? This series is going to be discussing just where we see Unity, where we see this unitedness throughout the Bible. And as an introduction sermon to this series, um, I will be giving an overview today of what unity means and why it's important. What unity means and why it's important. Next week, Pastor Clay is going to be preaching on the unity of us in Christ, being united in Christ. Pastor Sunita will be preaching on the unity of reconciliation. I'll be preaching on the unity of differences. Uh, I believe Clay is going to be preaching on the unity, uh, the beauty of unity. And Pastor Peter will be returning and preaching on the power of our unity. So we have a lot of things to cover. But I want to go back to that question, why unity? Because that's a really good question if you're asking it. Why unity? And the first and most simple answer I can come up with is because our God, the God we worship, the God we believe in, the God we put our faith in, is a united God. Our God is a united God. He is a united God by design, and he has designed us to be like him in his image, and so therefore we are called to be a united people. Today we're going to be looking at a united God, and then we're going to be looking at a united story. So if you have questions about those, that's fine. I will be uh, going into greater detail. But first, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity that we have, God, uh, to learn about you, to encounter you, to be in your presence, to be united with you and with each other. 
Father, would today be your day, your word, your time. And may all things point back to you. May all things bring you glory. We pray that you would be pleased with what you see here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading from John 17, verse 20 to 25. John 17, verse 20 to 25. This is actually the tail end of a prayer that Jesus is praying. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. So he's talking about disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. They know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's the word of God. And if you've listened or read this passage, you'll notice that there's a lot of I in me and you in me language, right? I in you and you in me type of language. And this is like... Um, a very interesting picture that Jesus is painting. So there's this meme that I really like. It's a, it's a meme of, it's a picture of Jesus praying. And the caption goes, Dad, it's me, you. Right, do we have that? There we go. Are you there, Dad? It's me, you. And it's kind of funny because, you know, it's playing on Jesus being God and the Father being God. This is not an accurate picture of the Trinity. So please do not reference it. It's funny, but do not reference this picture as your theology. It's not accurate. Not accurate at all. The Trinity is three separate persons, right? So even though it's funny, right, three separate persons. So Jesus is God, but he is not the Father, not in the Bible, uh, uh, the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible in most translations. But you'll understand that when you read the, the whole Bible, there is this uh, language that alludes to this idea of Trinity, right? The Trinity is referenced a lot. So if you look at Matthew 3.16, it reads, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And then further on, God uh, says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. We see here all three of them are in one scene. Jesus in the water, the Spirit of God descending, and God in the heavens. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' great commission to us. And we are called to baptize in the name of the three. 
John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I, this is Jesus, will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. So now we have another threefold thing here. The helper, which is the spirit, who will come after Jesus, and the spirit is sent by the Father. There are three persons. They are the Trinity. They are all separate, but they are all God. And this is a mystery we have to acknowledge um, because our language or our logic can't really describe them. There are actually a lot of metaphors out there, um, especially in like youth groups and stuff that try to teach kids what exactly the Trinity looks like. Um, one of the more popular ones is like an egg, right? Um, God is like an egg. There's like the shell. There's like the white stuff and then the yolk. But all metaphors fail to describe who God is. Okay, so I, I want to go back to uh, a picture that we have. It's um, a picture of what the Trinity actually is. And what we see here is three separate persons, all are God, but all are not each other. They are all separate. They all have different roles. They all work differently, yet they are all God. And this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we follow. And what we see, because the three are one, is a united God. Unity is in the very nature of God. And because of this unity, there is a deep intimacy among them. This, this deep intimacy is displayed in Jesus' prayer between him and God when we read verse 21. He says, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. There is a closeness here that we see, that we're reading into. Jesus is in the Father and then the Father is in Jesus. The best way I can describe this closeness is when you attribute the work from one person of one person to another. Right? Think of someone you really love. It's most likely a child if you're a parent, but it could be a close friend or a, a close family member. Right, think of this person and think of if they achieved something amazing, right? They won a great prize, they won a competition, they, they got to the finals of something, they, they're the champions of something. Just think of a great accomplishment and think about how you react to their accomplishment. You feel like you did it. Oftentimes, sometimes you take a little bit of credit for what they have done, even though you had nothing to do with it. And it's because there's this great pride, this oneness that you have, that you journeyed with them through all these challenges, what they did, all the hard work they put into it, and you've got to the finish line with them. You feel as though their accomplishment is your accomplishment. On the flip side, if this same person is going through a really hard time, if this per same person is struggling, right, you feel a heaviness. You feel a sadness with them. Their burden is your burden. You struggle with them. That is the type of closeness being displayed here between Jesus and the Father. And this verse is saying, I pray for all those who believe to live in oneness just as we do. Meaning, we as God's people 
are called to live in that type of oneness. See, this is not a frivolous, kumbaya, happy together type of unity. This is a very serious, strong unity that we have for each other. Sharing in each other's joy, but shouldering each other's burden. We are united in one body, one spirit, one faith, one death, one resurrection. And we share a bond through the power of the cross. This is something that we are called to take extremely seriously. And that is in fact why the sacrament of baptism is such a wonderful thing. Yes, the spirit of God is working through this sacrament in the person who's declaring their faith. But we as believers should be excited because we get to watch someone enter into this unity, declare that they were once lost, but now they're found and that they are united in Christ. That is the beauty of baptism. This verse that we just looked at shows the depth of unity that God expects from his people. It's an expectation that we would be one just as God and the Son are one. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. That word glory there, it means it's more um, the manifestation of God's character. The manifestation of God's character. Right? So it's teaching us more of who God is. So this purpose that we have for this glory, for Jesus to come and to teach us God's character, God's heart, is so that we could be in complete unity. There is no true unity without God's glory. There is no complete unity without God's character. And Jesus continues, It is through this unity that the world will know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. And this is the mission and testimony of our church. That the world would know Jesus. How will the world know Jesus? Through our unity. The world experiences, witnesses Christ through the church's unity. This oneness that we display is the power that we have to change the world. It is the power of our unity. And so you have to think about how foolish the church might seem when we're so fractured on all these different issues when we drown ourselves, when we drown our voices in finger-pointing and political party alignment, we lose this witness. We lose this power. And that's why we must take seriously the cry and the voices of the people in our communities, the people in our churches. As church leaders, as church lay leaders, as church attenders, and as Christ followers, we cannot ignore the cries of our people. We cannot ignore the cries of our black friends, our black brothers and sisters. We cannot ignore racial injustice that continues 
continues and will continue if we do not put our foot down and say enough is enough. This has gone far too long. We are called to live in this unity and there cannot be any unity if we do not listen to the voices of those around us. That is our united God. So then what is this united story? What is this united story? Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I'm going to look at the end of the verse first. Because the end of the verse is actually the beginning of the story of God. Right, the story of God. What do I mean by the story of God? When people say the story of God, what they're actually referring to is their biblical theology. Their biblical theology. It means that you're taking the Bible as a whole. Right, that's what biblical theology is. And good biblical theology doesn't cherry pick verses and say, oh, this is the argument I'm going to press. This is the agenda I'm going to press because I see this verse right here. Right, that's not what good biblical theology does. Good Biblical theology is looking at consistent motifs, consistent themes throughout the Bible that run across it and looking and seeing, ah, yes, this, is, this runs throughout the whole Bible. This must be true. We see uh, this truth being um, spoken over and over again. Right? And that's how we know we're kind of on the right direction there. And so when we look at the creation account, and this verse, Jesus says, you loved me before the creation of the world. We see that in, during creation, Jesus was there. Jesus was at creation. This language is also in the beginning of John. right? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then John continues to speak on about how the word became flesh. And that's how we know it's Jesus. All three persons of the Trinity are there at creation. We see more of this in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that move along the ground. Let us, plural, make mankind in our, plural, image, in our likeness. We see that the Father was not alone during creation. The Son and the Spirit were there too. The Trinity is united together, right from the get-go, in the beginning, working together. And man is made in the image of this triune God. We are made in the image of unity, all men and all women. Because newsflash, God is not a man. I know we refer to uh, God as him and he and himself because, I mean, technically for me, it's just easier to do it that way. But there are clear maternal traits displayed throughout the Bible. Uh, often God is referred to um, protecting his people like a mother protects her children. Men and women are made in the image of God. And then we must look around us and see that we are very different, yet there is one God we worship. 
it means we all reflect different parts of that image. And we must embrace our diversity and our culture. We must embrace those things. Because we are all separate and different reflections of the beauty of the Imago Dei. We cannot, we cannot succumb to color blindness out of convenience. Discard that. If color blindness is your thing, if you say you see no color, discard that. Remove that from your lips. It is not a good thing. At best, it's a so so thing. It does no justice to God's glory. None. It does not speak to the fullness of God's creation. It does not speak to the depth of God's creation. How, how immense this image could be. How glorious this image could be if you boil it down to a color blindness. But that all of us, whether you're light or dark skin, whether you're from here or from there, you reflect the beauty of God some way, some form. And in our diversity, we can enjoy that together. We can learn from each other and love that image together. That is what it means to really observe the Imago Dei. The fullness of God's beautiful image, it's found in our differences. That's where you find the fullness of the beauty of the image of God. And this creation account then sets the stage for our united story. All three persons moving together from creation. As you know, sin entered the world, yes. And then um, man had to be removed from Eden. Um, yeah, man had to be removed from Eden. Yet the, the, the Godhead moves together, right, in unity. See, even when you read about how mankind was made, even their dominion over creation, even the power that God gives man, it's together. He says, let them rule over. Not just Adam. Adam is not just this one king ruler. Let them rule. There's this united aspect that God is um, instilling in his people. So if we go back to verse 24, Jesus says, I want. Jesus says, I want, right? I want you to have, um, for those you have given me, I want them to see my glory, God. That's what he says. Those who put their faith in him, he wants them to witness the fullness of his glory. And because we see this oneness, his desire we know is God's desire. We see that in actuality when we look at the story of God, when we look at the story of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross in his crucifixion and resurrection, in order to get to the scene that Jesus wants to happen, that God wants to happen, in order for us to be with the Son, witnessing his full glory, what needed to happen? The cross. The cross needed to come before that. And that's why Jesus came to us. That's why Jesus shed himself of this glory. 
That's why he sacrificed himself on the cross. That's why he scorned its shame. That's why he endured its wrath on our behalf in God's love. Because he was sealing the hope of a new covenant in his blood. God's desire. This plan was set in motion from the beginning, from Genesis, from when Adam and Eve were kicked out. This plan was always a part of God. And the Trinity works together, united in this plan, united in this work to reconcile God to his people. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus says, God, I know you. Father, I know you. I know your mission. I know your heart. And I will come and I will make it known to your people. Because God's heart is for reconciliation with his people. And this reconciliation is communicated through the Son's mission of reconciliation. And then the Spirit comes and unites us in that reconciliation. It opens our eyes to that reconciliation. There's an incredible oneness here. Again, that from Genesis, I can't stress this enough, from the beginning when sin entered the world, the Father's heart for his people was to reconcile them back to him. When sin entered the world, the son's mission became carrying out the redemption plan and displaying the father's sacrificial love and resurrection power. That when sin entered the world, the spirit would know that it was to come to set our minds, to call us to that grace, to reveal to us a God that did all of this and more. That is God's heart for his people. That is what we are united there in that reconciliation. That from Adam and Eve to Noah to Moses to Ruth to King David to Judges to the exile to all of those things, eventually to Christ, what happens is God is calling his people constantly back to himself. And the scope of this story, the scope of this mission grows it continues to grow. It encapsulates all of creation. This, this setup that we have here in Genesis is an incredible marker, is an incredible way for us to just kind of understand how much God actually cares about the people he's loved, the people he's made. That when we, can, when we tell our congregation, you hear a lot from this pulpit, that you are important, that God loves you, that God sees you, that God values you. Biblical theology, we can go to Genesis and look and say, this is why. Because from the beginning, from when he formed you, and then through all of this history, He's been calling you to him. That's beautiful. If Genesis is the setup, 
then I would say the cross is the climax. And through the work of the cross, through the work of Jesus, we are further reconciled to God. But more than that, we are reconciled to each other. The walls of hostility are broken. We are reaping the fruits of this work as this scope, this scope grows. And we are called to be united with God and united with each other. And that is why there is a call to have a heavy burden for each other because that is the fulfillment of God's work. That is why you are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And so when a black person tells you that black lives matter and that we live in a world, in a system, in a country that tells them it doesn't, our cry should be black lives matter. That should be the cry of our hearts. That should be the burden in us. On another note, Jesus coming and being crucified and resurrected is the hope of an eternal promise. It's the hope of an eternal promise. If that's the hope, then Jesus' return, his, his coming, his return to us in his full glory, when we witness him in his full glory, that is essentially the realization of all of our hope for eternity. There's nothing better. It is the finishing touch. It is the finale of this story. It is hopefully something you anticipate more than the finale of The Bachelor. I'm looking at my wife. Something we cannot quantify or measure. It is the restoration of all creation from sin and death. It is the restoration of all creation. And that's pretty much the sum of God's desire. That is the desire that Jesus spoke of right there. That we would be with him witnessing his full glory. That is God's desire. That he would be with us and we would be with him when all hope is realized. It is a scene that we can dream about a thousand times, but a thousand times we would fail to realize the depth of the beauty that's there. It is the full realization of the beauty of our unity with God. With him and with each other. That is God's desire in this story. So if we take all this into account, right, a united God and a united story, one, there can be no Lone Ranger Christians. And what I mean by that, you cannot do faith on an island and you cannot be faithful on your own. Impossible. It's impossible for you to just be faithful with you and your family. Doesn't work. You are called to be part of the body of Christ. We have to do it together. I would even say that doing faith on your own or just with your family is opposed to how God designed it. 
we have to discard this Western mindset of prioritizing the self in faith. Your faith, your health, your relationship. Yes, they're important. Yet, don't get me wrong, they're important. But they're not everything. They are a small part of this grand picture, this grand design that God has. The second is we must have a deep concern for the body. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If we are concerned with the body, then we must be an active part of the body. I know pandemic, quarantine, it's hard. I get it. But we must do what we can to be part of the church, to continue with the church. I know Zoom calls suck. I get it. I hate them. I'm on it all the time. But that means that you should be part of a small group. And I will call out our partners. You signed a covenant to be in small group. Why aren't you in small group? We need to have a deep concern for the body. We need to do everything we can to be united as a community. And if you have a better idea, please feel free to share because you're part of the body and you have a voice. Email me. Email Pastor Peter. Email Pastor Sunita. You know, email any of us. We'll be more than delighted to hear your ideas. See, the thing is, is that I would hate, I would, I cringe at the idea of meeting God one day and having him ask me, why did you do nothing with the opportunities that I gave you? We have opportunities still, even during quarantine. I hope that you use them. The health of the church and its vision and its mission, these are all things that must weigh heavily on our minds and our hearts, or we cannot claim to live into the unity that God calls for us. Cannot do it. The last thing I want to share is very relevant with us today is communion. I hope you have your communion elements ready because we're going to jump into that soon. But one of the ways in which we center ourselves again on this unity is through communion. Communion is a very important sacrament. So if you walk out during service during communion or you think it's not part, this part isn't for you or it's optional, I'm sorry, I have to say this, you're not being faithful. You are not being faithful to what God has called us to as a body. When we share in the sacrament of communion, by the Spirit, we experience again more of the grace of the Father that was given to us through the Son. And we share a meal together as a church, united in this one faith. Not just our church, but all churches. And not just all churches today, but all churches through time, declaring God's sovereign grace over us. This one love, this one truth, this one faith, sharing in Jesus' desire to all be with him 
as witnesses to the fullness of his glory. As all hope is realized before our eyes. That is what communion is. And I want to start off our communion Sunday with a short testimony. Because I was saved through God not because of my own relationship with him. I was saved by God. I, I met Jesus. I was introduced to him through community. that I decided to follow Christ when I had a really brash small group leader come to me and say, you're selfish. God does not exist to serve you. And that opened my eyes to a hundred other things. And then I I walked into the doors of a church where a pastor told me that it was okay to forgive a father who tormented me and neglected me for the most of the years of my life. And that God would heal that wound. That I didn't have to take care of it. That God would. We are a community called to love each other, to shoulder each other's burdens, to celebrate with each other. But we're called to live in unity with God the way he taught us, the way he designed. And so all together, on the night that he was betrayed, our beautiful Lord Jesus, he took bread. And after he broke it, he gave, after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I actually want you to take your bread right now. And I, just want, I want you to eat it and I want you to remember Christ's body. The one that he gave to you and for you. The one that bore our sin. The one who bears our, the stripes that belong to us. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This cup is the sign of a covenant sealed in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Because whenever you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he returns. So go ahead, drink.
I just want you to remember that the blood of Jesus is a promise. It's a promise to cover you, to be with you, to continue to reconcile you to God in all things. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for this time. And we come to you, God. And we declare your death, Lord. We love you. Not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. You are a mighty God, a united God. One who has created his people so so carefully. Who has reconciled them to himself so thoroughly. And who will continue to sanctify them completely when we go to glory. Let us not lose hope in this, but continue to press forward in unity together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, if you have your communication card, which is in your app, let's just go to that real quick. I have some next steps. The first is that I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord and be united with him for eternity. If this is the declare, the declaration of your heart, God is celebrating. We are celebrating with you. Uh, please check that off and uh, you will be emailed immediately. People will be there to answer any of your questions to walk you through this. The second is I will commit to staying as involved as I can. I should be with my church community. We need you. We need you to be part of the body. We need you to be with us. We need you to fight with us, to struggle with us, to commune with us, to fellowship with us, to brainstorm with us, to serve with us. I hope that that would be a conviction in your heart today. The third is I will take time out of my day to pray for the church, its leaders, and their vision for the future during this time of uncertainty. Believe it or not, we're having a lot of trouble figuring out how to navigate church right now. It's really hard. <laughs> we need your prayer. We need your support. More than anything, um, we need the church to be ready to pivot or shift or to press onward, whatever that might be. Please pray. And the fourth is I will meditate on what being united with Christ could mean for my spiritual life. Uh, this is in preparation for Pastor Clay's sermon next week. I'm sure that he's going to be bringing a powerful word.